0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. As many of you would know from my blog posts, and even though Tim and I haven't put episodes out in a very consistent order because we've been so busy, my master's thesis is finished. So today on Blind Insights, Tim's going to ask me questions about
1: what I learned about inbound marketing. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights, a podcast we call A Haphazard Guide to Living. Hosted by philosophy master, David Olney, and myself, a philosophy student, Tim Whiffen.
0: G'day, David, how are you? I am very good seeing my thesis is finished. (laughs) Relieved, catharsis. Ah, yeah, and the (laughs) fact that I got it back and got a high distinction. Mm. And all the comments from the marker made sense. And that all her suggestions to make it more academic, to get a few more points, were all things I'd actively decided, no, don't need to. Because this is a professional thesis for a professional audience. Mm. Was so nice to read a marker's comments and go, that's a grown-up I'd like to meet.
1: So thank you, (laughs) grown-up, who marked my thesis. Oh, that's excellent. And they weren't even from your university. Nope. Which maybe says something in our PSA. (laughs) David, I'm... Interested to know what you've learned. It's been obviously a very big pivot. We've had lots of commentary um, in in our past episodes about how we got here. But I think all the listeners are maybe curious to know what it is about this subject that got you so fascinated. Main reason to get interested in inbound marketing to me
0: was, okay, I was studying strategic communications, not marketing. But what became very clear once I started working with Richard Jacobs uh, and easy Marketing Inc. in Texas, was, okay, r- risk and crisis comms I really like, but my job is in a marketing firm. And I could see already the tension in how marketing used to be and a lot of the knowledge that Rich had gained with really good marketers who were superstars in the 90s and early 2000s. And yet when I started doing my own reading for, okay, how can I add value at Speakeasy, I was getting completely different answers. And mm. then when I reached out to Steve Davis and said, Hey Steve, can I do another internship with you? And, you know, he asked me on my first day, you know, would you like to stay on at the end of your internship? And I'm like, Hell yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Now I've got two awesome bosses and two jobs I really like. What I could see was that Steve was doing a kind of marketing here in Adelaide. That was aligning with so much of what I was reading. But he'd, from what I can tell, worked it out from experience that it worked well and people responded to it well and he'd developed it very incrementally. And I'm like, okay, America's moved a huge distance from where it was. Australia's a little bit behind America, but people like Steve are already on the path I really respect. The best thing I can do with my thesis is to go and learn what the sharp end of America are doing, what speakeasy is going to need and what Steve is already starting to do incrementally without perhaps having read the literature because he just didn't need to Mm. because he was just helping clients. And in helping clients, he was finding these great answers. So really I wrote a thesis to be useful to my two bosses who I like and wanted to help in companies where I like everyone and wanted to help with clients where a lot of people earn a little bit more money, have nicer lives if I get good at things that actually make a difference.
1: Having that real life motivation to, to write something must have made your research process and your writing process much easier. Maybe easy is not the word. How, how would you describe the motivation, I guess, that gave you?
0: Well, I suppose I'll go back a step simply because I think it'll help everyone to understand. But really, for me, doing the research for my master's thesis was a lot like doing research to go and teach guys at two commando. Mm. It was a pleasure doing the research because it was going to have a real world impact Now having a real world impact on people who were providing our security at a national level was awesome, but that's an occasional job. What I want is my everyday job Mm. and I still want to have that same impact. And if the impact can be, if I can help someone do a better job of making their business grow and stabilize which means they can hire one more person. So so many more families have financial security in hard times. It's that same satisfaction. So, you know, listeners, part of what made this also appealing for me was that I would have preferred, you know, the risk of being an elite soldier, and instead what I've ended up with is managing the risk to help small businesses grow and stabilise so that people can have nice lives. It's a different kind of risk, but I love the fact because I'm so calm with the risk, I found a place where I can help it be easier for other people to be calm. Mm. So all that fed into my research for my thesis. One, I'm learning something useful. Two, it's actually really interesting because it's all about human psychology. Three, it's about managing risk for people. Four, it's about getting good outcomes. And five, I get to play with words and concepts. And I'm doing almost as much fun mental gymnastics as complex problem solving. <laughs> well, it is just another form of complex problem solving, just in a slightly more narrowly defined area.
1: Well, you've sold me. I've read the blurb. I'm kind of desperate to have the the spark notes. What are the, the big insights? What are the takeaways? You know, if this is enough content, I'm sure to teach in a whole semester, probably even over a whole degree, as you've just done, you know, I kind of want to take that course.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's how I kind of thought of the thesis as, okay, inbound marketing, what do I call my chapters? I don't have to think about it. Uh, Where did it come from? Why did it emerge? What makes it significant? And where next? They were really the four parts. Well, let's do the four parts. Yeah, so what is it? Inbound marketing is the recognition that the world's changed, that we've moved from a world of buyer beware to a world of seller beware. Before the internet, before smartphones, you couldn't get enough information to make a complicated decision about a purchase Mm. without talking to salespeople. So they had the power post internet and particularly post smartphone, uh, you do all your research before you turn up. So listeners, when you bought a TV, a fridge, a car, worked out you know what venue to get married in, worked out what venue yeah. to have your 21st birthday, mm. all these things. did you go talk to a salesperson or did you spend hours online researching, work out a short list and by the time you went to talk to these people, you knew exactly what you wanted, what you were willing to pay, and were happy to walk away from any of them that couldn't deliver. Mm. Now, that, for people who are honest, is the new normal. Yep. So what that means is it is not a world of buyer beware anymore unless you're a really dumb buyer. But it's now a world of seller beware because if you don't treat consumers well, they'll write a review that is evergreen, that that company and that salesperson are a dick, Mm. and that will hurt your company long term. Also... Yeah, you know, salespeople can't pretend anymore they have the magic bit of information. Uh, yeah. What they have, if they're lucky, is the ability to price match the price you put in front of them and yeah. prove you found online, <laughs> which is an indication of how powerful research is. Yeah. So, the implications of this are in a world of seller beware, the most important thing a seller can do is answer a prospective customer's questions honestly and in a way that helps them build knowledge and builds trust in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Because from an inbound marketing perspective, the most valuable people in the world are prospective customers who you've treated well, who've decided to buy from you, who've enjoyed the product because they knew what they bought, and who then write reviews and do social media posts and recommend you and your company to friends and family. Mm. That's now, if you're not heading for that, what are you doing in marketing? That's really what it's about.
1: Answering questions. Yep.
0: So the famous book on this is They Ask, You Answer. Cool. So even the title pretty much sums up inbound in four words. Yeah. Yeah. And Marcus Sheridan is an interesting guy who wrote They Ask, You Answer because his pool company was doing brilliantly until the global financial crisis and literally within a couple of weeks nearly folded. Wow. And on one of his last nights before he was going to pull the pin on his company, He was listening to the radio and it was an inbound marketer talking about this is the strategy that works. Right. And Marcus Sheridan literally went home, started doing research, started applying it the next day and saved his company. Wow. And once it saved his pool company, opened an inbound marketing firm. Cool. Because he'd seen it work for him, which meant he could tell people this is not spin. This is genuinely, if you make a good product or a good service, you have to answer people's questions and help them to resolve problems Or achieve their dreams Mm. because if you do that they will say nice things about you and they will support you and if they do that and you look after them right it's a virtuous circle that
1: just keeps on going that's an important distinction I think on on this model is that it's evidenced very clearly in multiple case studies I suppose does that evidence or being able to back up a claim matter when you're answering questions
0: yes Absolutely. Because, of course, what do we all think a career in sales is? Hmm. Ugly and slimy. Yep. Why? Because we all know what 1990 sales looks like, even if you're Tim and you're too young to remember it. You've seen all the <laughs> movies with the sales guy that just keeps on pushing. Yeah. I'm going to push you till you buy. Yep. Well, guess what? That worked in the 90s because that person would buy and they go, that sales person was a dick. Eh, Those products sort of okay. Yeah. And who am I going to tell? Yeah. Whereas if you burn. A customer like that in 2022, they put it all over social media, all over review sites and bury you. Yep. And then everyone else you've done it to chimes in that that was their experience too. Yeah. And it becomes a cataclysm for the company.
1: Equally, that kind of pylon can happen in an unfair way. So you've also studied the crisis side of things mm. what what do you do on if you're I guess a victim of that I'm just interested as an aside
0: well, this is the thing like there's always going to be people who aren't happy or weren't satisfied mm. and it's an interesting thing you know if a a restaurant or a company has a rating higher than 4.8 out of five, people don't actually believe the number. Yeah. The sweet spot is 4.4 to 4.8 out of five. Yeah. That means some people weren't happy, which is actually how the world really is. (laughs) But the whole reason for answering people's questions and helping people to feel that you helped them, so they want to help you back is that when someone piles on and says, my experience was crap. Five other people say that's really sad. have you reached out to them and let them know my experience was really good mm. and the people who you treated well because they had a good experience you know they they value their experience mm. and want other people to have good experiences, so they tend to be far more likely to get involved and be supportive uh, because you know
1: you treated them well and you helped. Does it speak to some kind of connectedness because that to me, seems like a you know, a thousand true fans kind of model.
0: It is, and that's really what it is. It's the recognition that we all want to be social even if we have to do it virtually. Mm. Which means we want connections as often and where we can find them. Mm. Which means if a company behaves well and people treat us well, it's another opportunity to be socially connected. It may not be the ideal social connection, but We don't have enough good ones, so any more that are reasonable is what we want. So there's a wonderful book called Marketing Rebellion, Mark Schaefer. Mm -hmm. And the simple one-liner to make sense of the entire book is we buy from those we know, we like, and we trust. Mm -hmm. And you have to know someone before you can like them, and you have to like them before you can trust them. Mm -hmm. And if you are not behaving in a way where people know what you are, they find it likable, it's not that you persuaded them, they find you likable and that there is consistency in what you do so they can trust you, they will float away to another company who they can know, like, and trust. So we've all done it. We've all bought products from a company once because the price was astounding. Mm. But everything else about the experience was meh. Yeah. And next time we want to buy a thing in that category, we don't go back to that website. We search all over again from scratch looking for the cheapest deal. Yeah. But once you're working full time and you've got less time to research and you can afford to spend a a tiny bit more money, you Mm. tend to start going to the place that you got treated well. And you look there first and go, what deal have they got? And you might go check and go, oh, I could get it four bucks cheaper from this no-name company I don't know who, you know, I haven't got a relationship with, or I can spend $4 more and get it from a company that treated me well. And from what I can tell, treat other people well too. Mm. And more and more, particularly younger people, uh, would say they'd rather pay more for good behavior, good service, uh, and, and people they can connect
1: with. Mm. So that's a pretty good overview of Inbound marketing. Mm. It, it sounds like it. It's kind of most relevant in the age of the internet. It, it, it did it arise from like you know, at, at equal parts with the internet or? That's the interesting thing I found in my research,
0: is, yeah, the initial inbound companies make the point that they're doing something new, and they overemphasize the newness of the thinking, mm. when what was new was the digital technology. What I found in my research was that. All the important concepts were in place by the early 1990s, and they're just waiting for the technology. Mm. So in the late 1960s, there was a movement in marketing called the Broadening Movement, which was a debate amongst marketing academics about whether marketing should move beyond for-profit organizations into other spheres of life. And the marketing academics actually had a vote and agreed they should work on that stuff as well, because... You know, if you've got a friend who is an artist, well, how do they sell their art? If you've got a friend who's a ballerina, how does her company or his company get work dancing? How do you get people to come and see you? The more ways we've got to spend our money and time, the more people need to present the options to us in a way that we can decide what we want. So in the late 1960s, marketing grew to be much more sophisticated in a lot more areas. Mm. But there wasn't technology for a two-way conversation, mm. so we got broadening, but it was one way. You targeted your market better by sending stuff out, or radio ads, or TV ads, or print ads. But it was, you know, it was the beginning. By the early 1990s, the four Ps, which are famous in marketing, were pretty much transformed by multiple authors into the four Cs, moving the focus from what you, the producer, could do to what does the consumer need and what?
1: So for the layperson, uh, if <laughs> if you remember them, what are the four Oh, I P's never remember to... the order. Yeah. It's
0: product, price, promotion, and place, but I never remember if the order's right. Sure. And then the four C's? Whereas the four C's, there's several variations of this, but it's all about, well, not what product you make, but what does a consumer need to achieve? Hmm. How's a consumer going to find it? How much can a consumer afford? What information does a consumer need to understand that this is the right product? So, you know, a, a decade before the internet was mainstream, the move from the four P's to the four C's or the five C's or any other number like I like using Lauderborn's four C's because it was clean and it's 1991. Mm. It's a good time to indicate it's well and truly before the internet mm-hmm. being a mainstream thing. So once again, the focus on the customer was all in place before we had the technology for a two-way conversation. Simultaneously in the 1990s, in Scandinavia in particular, we get the deep development of relationship marketing, which is the recognition that in so many kinds of business and transaction and industries, if we compete with each other and don't communicate well, we're all going to struggle. Mm. But if we work collaboratively and work out how to work with other people and communicate to build long-term relationships with clients, guess what? Our growth will be slow, but it will be consistent, and we'll have a good understanding of the people around us, they'll have a good understanding of us, and we'll get a relationship which is about, eventually, how do we get a plus-sum game? How do we both win? Mm. And this is pretty much why we have kind of the Scandinavian economic miracle in the 90s. Why suddenly Scandinavian cars like Saab and Volvo go from not being cool to being cool. Why Scandinavian mobile phone companies were so amazing in the early period of mobile phones. It was because companies worked together, built long-term relationships with other companies and with their major clients. And there was a constant two-way traffic of information to make sure even though the broad world was still one-way communication, product development, uh, insight from customers was already beginning to become two-way consistently. It was a, a virtuous circle of information transfer mm. and trust building so really by the time the internet became a thing and by the time smartphones emerged with you know the first iphone in 2007 mm. all the ideas for broadening were in place all the ideas for the four c's were in place and all the ideas for relationship marketing were in place and the final critical thing i think that played a role but was the last set of ideas to the party was the first book on conscious capitalism came out in 2007, Mm -hmm. Firms of Endearment, where that book spawned the whole area of conscious capitalism. Mm. The idea we can do good while we're doing well and that it's all about a plus-sum game and treating people with respect and listening. So really, conscious capitalism was the other bundle of ideas that got rolled into the three earlier ideas. And inbound has emerged by knowingly or unknowingly, grabbing, gravitating or mirroring these ideas Mm. and then combining that with digital technology. Its use of digital technology is revolutionary, but its use of ideas is evolutionary.
1: So I want to bring it back to some of your examples. So Volvo now, not that great a selling car, Nokia now, not that great a mobile phone company, are these things only really useful when, let's say, the technology or the product is an equal playing field? That is an interesting question to which,
0: if I was writing a bigger thesis, I would have dived into. Okay. So what relationship marketing did was give Volvo and Nokia a massive advantage in the 90s prior to the internet. Hmm. But when the internet came along, and laptops and smartphones came along, and people started doing their own research. Nokia and Volvo were too slow to realize that because relationship marketing had been working so well for them. Mm. They thought they had a big enough virtuous circle of information and trust. Yep. But very quickly, because of Apple and car companies like Mazda that started getting into human-centered design, mm. um, Nokia and Volvo just got rolled. Because their idea was good, and the problem is when you get a good idea, you don't change until the good idea regularly starts to fail. The problem is by the time their idea was regularly failing, Apple's good ideas and Mazda's good ideas meant they were selling lots of product because they transitioned
1: to an even bigger circle of get information, build trust. Interesting. So the a lot of the references that we've made so far to the inbound marketing books, I notice, are American. And yet, I think from what you're saying, it sounds like the origins span back you know, at least 60 years and not necessarily from America.
0: No, it really is because America, there's so much money flowing and the entrepreneurial spirit is so strong that it's where things tend to coalesce. Mm. And okay. yet, like I said... You know, uh, relationship marketing very strongly out of Scandinavia. Mm. You know, the broadening movement in the 60s. Yes, it started in America, but academics worldwide talked about it. Yeah, okay. Moving the four Ps to the four Cs, some of the best writing on that was actually coming out of Asia as the Singaporeese economy and the Japanese economy were becoming so sophisticated in the 90s. Ah, of course. So all sorts of things have played into this, but because, you know, the digital revolution happened first in America, that's where all
1: the pieces got reassembled into this new thing we call inbound. Yeah. I wonder how much of that shadows the surrounding years that maybe shouldn't be so easily overlooked. There's so many other factors I could have rolled
0: into the thesis if mm. I had more room. There's lots of other theories that got rolled in, lots of other brilliant people who had an impact. Of course. Um, and it's really, I ran with the big things people need to understand to understand why we are now in a world of seller beware yeah. and why she should answer people's questions and help them fulfill their dreams
1: and solve their problems. I feel I have a good understanding of what it is and where it's come from. How is it operating now? So I find myself as someone who is quite easily overwhelmed as a consumer. So I deeply research things mm. but to the point that it actually aggregators of content almost don't satisfy me. Mm. Mm. So I'm I'm interested to know maybe where it is and maybe where it's going. Am I am I ever gonna? Am I just gonna have to? live with the level of research that's easily available or are am am going to be plagued with this kind of compulsion to dig that bit deeper? Yeah, but I think part of the reason you have to dig deep is because most
0: people aren't answering your questions. Yeah. If we think of most of the research most of us do today, it's still a website that lists the characteristics of the product or service, mm-hmm. a bit of a description and a price. Mm-hmm. But there's no real deep analysis. They have not thought about your or my questions.
1: Or or it's that they answer them, but so superficially, yeah. so see-through that actually, you know, words like sustainable no longer mean anything. Yep. So they're mm. being so general. So mm. a
0: big thing with inbound marketing when you're working with a client is you've got to say to the client, all right, work out who your five most important customers are. Mm. And let's then turn them into personas and go, what questions do your five most important customers ask? And let's answer those questions questions directly so that when Tim searches, if you know Tim, as a young audio guy now with a full-time job, wants to improve his studio at home, he's asking very specific questions, which people should answer specifically so that he could find it easier to go, this website's actually solving my problem and treating me with respect <laughs> and offering a reasonable price instead of you looking at 30 websites and 30 review websites to piece it all together. Yeah. So what we're seeing at the moment is very smart companies who are willing to behave ethically are going down the inbound path. Mm. A lot of companies are going, ah, if we put a price up there in the description, people will buy stuff as long as it's cheap enough. So an awful lot of companies are still just going with minimal information and sell it cheap, mm. which means you have to do tons and tons of research because most of the information is garbage and the same. So what you end up looking for is reviews from reviewers on YouTube and then looking for the best price on company websites, you do like you don't even rely on an individual company to give you good data. Yeah, you're relying on an enthusiast, and you're hoping they're not getting paid too much by companies to do the reviews. Yeah, oh yeah.
1: But actually, I want to maybe give an example of how deep I normally dig. So at the moment. <laughs> I would really like to have a pair of slippers. I don't mind this is possibly going to offend some vegans out there. I kind of don't mind whether they're made of leather, shielding, whatever. I want them to be sustainable and I want them to be resolable. I cannot, for the life of me, find something that is reasonably priced, comfortable, and would be no, you're not long lasting.
0: You're not gonna find resolable except when the price goes up. So if yeah. you were describing what you want, what you want is a pair of all birds. Mm. made a sustainable New Zealand wool. Y- yeah. But it's not going to be resolvable.
1: Okay, but they could easily answer that question with my search terms. But they don't mm. because they tell you why they're an
0: ethical company. Yeah. And they tell you why their products are good. Yes. But they still haven't twigged answering your questions. Yes. So, again, basic rule of marketing, rule number one, listeners, is stop thinking you are your own customer. <laughs> Because you're not. Oh, yeah. And yet the great mistake of most websites and most marketing material is it's approved by the person who knows the product inside out, Mm. not by people who might want to buy the product. Mm -hmm. Mm. So Allbirds talk about how amazing their shoes are, how ethical their company is, because that's what they care about. Mm. Now, that is enough for me to own several pairs of Allbirds. Yeah. But- there's all sorts of questions I have they don't answer because they don't think about who their major customers are. Mm. They are doing well enough by saying, we're environmentally sustainable, we're ethical, and these are the materials we use, and this is why they're comfortable, and this is why they're durable. Yes. They're giving us just enough information to go, it's incomplete, but it's the best of a bad lot.
1: Yes. And an awful lot of products out there,
0: their marketing positions them as the best of a bad lot.
1: Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You almost have to trash other things. Yep. Uh, Another solution I have found that I don't like, uh, I think they're called Duckfeet. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think which is a Polish company. Could be wrong on that. Yeah, I, I don't know where they come from. I think, I think in Australia you order them off
0: of the English website, but I don't think they're an English company. Yeah, okay,
1: um, they're resolvable and yep. lined and everything. Anyway, but it's it's it took me a long time to find them, and you know I'm not a huge fan because yeah. uh, as you may have inferred from duck feet, they're designed for, they have really wide toe boxes to Mm. the point that they're actually designed for comfort for people with wide feet. Mm. So I actually have a really narrow foot, so it's a bit overkill, but Mm. it's the closest thing I've found to what I want. And very expensive because it's coming from Europe. Yeah, they're not cheap, but I don't mind that because it's sustained. I don't mind the price. And, 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 the ultimate reality of that was recently we've had just absolute terrible weather in Australia. It's been you know raining mm. throughout spring, and uh, as a young professional, I've decided this is the first time I should buy an umbrella, mm. and I wanted something again that was sustainable. Yeah, a decent umbrella that will last. Uh, yeah. Yep. The worst thing I, about umbrellas is that they break. Yep. And so uh, it didn't take me very long. Australian company Blunt Umbrellas, they will repair your umbrella. Yep. Uh, it comes with a warranty, but if it breaks at any point after that, you can send it in and they'll repair it. Yep. At least you know someone can fix it. And it, it, it I didn't look at any of the competitors. It took nope. me no time at all. I bought one. They were not cheap, and I bought one immediately. Nope.
0: <laughs> and this is the case. Once again, did they answer all your questions? Probably not. But they answered enough in a way. It was pretty close. Yeah. Hmm. But but the point is they're they're the best example we've probably had so far of a company who nearly told you everything you wanted to oh. know doing your research. Yeah. And then are treating you in a respectful way. Yeah. And really what I've seen in my research and you know, most companies heading down the inbound path have to be ethical. Otherwise, if they get found out they lied, mm. the crisis they're going to end up in is going to be horrific. Yeah. So part of the reason why a lot of companies don't go down the inbound marketing path is they don't want to rely on their customers being their major advocates. They don't want their salespeople actually helping people mm. properly because the product just isn't good enough. Mm. So you know, inbound is really good if you're ethical and make a good product. yeah, And it's going to create nightmares for you if you don't. <laughs> so there's a reason why the take-up is only to a
1: certain level. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I guess what what's going to come first then? What's the prediction in terms of chicken or egg? Are people going to become more ethical and then go to inbound, or is inbound going to force people to become more
0: ethical? What I argued in the you know, the final part of my thesis is, really, conscious capitalism didn't mean to develop its own new kind of marketing. But in reality, when you look at the marketing for conscious capitalism companies, Mm. it looks an awful lot like inbound, but they never call it inbound Mm. because it just fits with their ethics. So my feeling is that a marketing person using inbound, it's good for them to describe what they're doing but if they haven't worked out if the company is ethical and can sustain the extra effort of genuinely answering questions, genuinely building good relationships, genuinely maintaining good relationships with the aim that by doing all of that, people will be advocates for the brand. If you don't want to put into that long-term view and that big effort, then just keep doing enough information and a fair enough price that people doing their own research go, well, you're not exactly who I want to do business with, but you're good enough. Mm. An awful lot of the world will stay on the good enough path. So, you know, when you and I talked to Dan Tyre from HubSpot earlier in the year, yeah. Dan said repeatedly, I just don't get why more companies aren't inbound. It's the way forward. Yeah. Well, it's the way forward for HubSpot because guys like Dan are at the point now of wanting to leave a legacy of building a better world. Oh, yeah. It works for them because all the founders are at the point now of wanting to run an ethical company and leave a legacy that made the world a better place than they found it. Yeah. So their headspace means, of course, Inbound makes sense. Yeah. Now, it made sense to them as young marketers in 2004 or five when HubSpot's doors opened. But there's a reason why it's still the minority position. Because a lot of people just want to make enough money to get through the week. And Inbound asks a lot more of you and your company. Than just getting through the week. You have to get through the week in an ethical way, mm. and in a way with a long view, and to build good relationships, and to connect, and to have the social skills to connect.
1: And that's a lot to ask in some situations. Definitely. So Good enough. It reminds me of an article you wrote about satisficing. Mm. Will that kind of dominate Part of it, like, are we are, are we going to put up with good enough? I, I, I'm kind of yeah. It's an interesting maybe tension there. I
0: think if economic times stay hard, mm. people are going to do more and more research. Going again, like you wanted to discover, can my umbrella be rebuilt? Yeah. And you went, wow, that blunt's costing me a lot of money, but it can be rebuilt, which means I'll have one good umbrella, and if I need to, it'll be rebuilt. Yeah. In the long run, that's cheaper. Yes. So I think we're going into a period. Where more companies are going to be want to be seen as ethical and good at building relationships and good at building trust and good at looking after their customers and good at making products and services that people want to talk about because in a world where we all have to be a bit more careful about what money we spend mm. and we need maximum value, good enough is not going to be good enough yep. for a lot of people. Yeah. We're all going to want, no, I don't want good enough. I genuinely want to feel that my research was worth the effort and that I'm now hooked into something, a company, a product, a community that will be there and will be sustainable and that when life is hard, I can still feel good about my umbrella or my shoes because each little thing that makes us feel better about ourselves and the world is good in hard times.
1: That has tapped into my feelings very strongly i'm interested to know what you think if we bring kind of the the philosopher david back into the room Mm. about how this plays into consumerism sometimes i feel bad about how much joy things like that give me because it's just another thing that it's just another thing isn't it
0: no it's not just another thing okay it's part of your identity it's part of how you represent yourself in the world You picking your blunt umbrella up when you and Jade walk to the bus in the morning or when you meet her at work to walk her in the rain to the bus because you've got your umbrella, Yeah, it's not just a thing. It's a thing that keeps the two of you dry. It's a thing that you can put your heads together under and chat on the way to the bus watching the water stream off your shoes. Yeah, It's a thing that helps your world be that little bit nicer on a miserable day. And so many products do that and we need to be connected to all the little choices we can make to make our life and the life of the people we care about and you know the sustainability of the environment the use of resources all the best they can be and if a little thing like an umbrella or a pair of shoes can make your day better make the day better for jade Mm. i mean you can deal with bad weather better you know it can be rebuilt, you know it doesn't waste resources, you know someone in Australia will have a job making one and repairing one.
1: Designing it, they're made in China, unfortunately.
0: Oh, well, okay.
1: (laughs) Look, the way things are going in China, that may not remain the case, because their economy is becoming so unstable. Bangladesh at some point. Yep. And there
0: they'll be allowed to have a union and it will pull tons of people out of poverty. Yeah. So again, it's not things have to be made in Australia, you know, I'm
1: not sure where they get repaired. They might even get repaired here, in fairness.
0: Yeah, or they might go overseas. But either way, at least they can be. At least they're not going in landfill. So, oh, yeah. no, to me, we underestimate how things are an extension of us. So, the anthropologist Tim Taylor said, yeah, that we are the tool-making ape, and every tool mm. we make changes us.
1: <sighs> That's a really awesome lens to look at that through.
0: And, and I agree with him totally, and this is where conscious capitalism And inbound marketing, really, as the marketing arm of conscious capitalism, I think is the best way to see its future. You know, if it's going to become the dominant marketing paradigm, rather than just a marketing paradigm, Mm. it will be dominant in a world where conscious capitalism becomes dominant. And in that world, what you buy says a lot about you, your community, the people you care about, how you feel about the environment, how you feel about resources, how you feel about the future. You know, things aren't things. Things are extensions of our identity and our dreams
1: mm. yeah much
0: like this podcast <laughs> good well listeners i'm sitting here wearing the current apple watch the ultra the one that is actually mil spec yeah so it can survive lots of harm which i figure as a blind person is probably really critical because <laughs> at one point my arm's going to swing and i'm going to smack it straight into a bollard or something and cry but because it's Mill spec it'll probably survive. Mm, definitely. So, again, why did I buy a very expensive Apple Watch? Well, because it'll survive my, my blindness and my life. But also, um, you know, when it's at the end of its life, I trade it in on the next one, mm. and it gets disassembled by the little Apple robots somewhere, and all the rare earths get reused, and how, all the
1: titanium gets reused. How long in the presentation did you have to wait to, to find out all that information? Well, you already converted enough that it didn't matter.
0: With the Ultra, mm. uh, the initial ads were the first Apple Watch that's mil-spec. Okay. So I'm like, heck yeah. Well, it answered your question immediately. Yep, because it's what I'd been waiting for. Yeah. So I knew what question I wanted answered, and thankfully, it was only a couple of paragraphs in that you know every feature on it meets you know military specification for being deployable. I'm like again. It's not me trying to live in my alternate life of living in the mess at Two Commando and training cool people. It's I am really scared that I'm going to swing my arm one day and put my watch straight into a wall (laughs) and cry. But at least with this thing, it'll be like "Mm, get someone to buff the scratches out of the sapphire glass. A few more scars on the titanium will probably look cool. Yeah. But this is the thing about what you pick says a lot about what kind of world you want to live in. Definitely. If this thing couldn't be recycled, probably wouldn't have bought one. I didn't need one. makes my life a lot easier having everything I need on my wrist, seeing the canes in my other hand. You were
1: ecstatic about it.
0: Oh, it was good. Mm. Very happy boy. So, you know, a company probably didn't think milspec was particularly important for a lot of people, but they still put it high enough up the list because they'd realized that one of the personas they needed to get right, this is Apple is people who need genuine robustness and have a legitimate reason for it, not just a cool factor.
1: Mm, especially in something that's wearable. Yep. I think that it matters Yeah, a lot there. So, yep. David, this has been imminently fascinating. Perhaps, should I give you a moment to do like a, a kind of two-minute thesis or or are we happy with... Maybe not a two-minute thesis, but what I will say at the end of this
0: is if if you're really interested in marketing... Please understand if you study in Australia, you might get five minutes of inbound marketing in your whole course. It's the sharp end and it's not broadly being taught yet because most of the good material on inbound itself is being written by marketers to sell their product and to inform people who might not be able to afford to hire them but need their business to survive. So they're doing something altruistic by writing their books, but they're also helping themselves. Mm. academics are a long way behind on inbound literature because not enough marketing academics have a day job of being a marketer while they also have a day job of being an academic. We don't have enough crossover. Uh, That would help a lot. Uh, And yet within academia, you can learn all the things about the broadening movement, the four Cs, relationship marketing, conscious capitalism Mm. to understand where inbound comes from and probably where it's going. So if you're interested just email one of us, and I can give you a reading list. But really, the the short start is start with Mark Schaefer's book, Marketing Rebellion. Start with Marcus Sheridan's book. You know, they ask you answer. Start with Dan Tire and Todd Hockenberry's book, Inbound Organization. And those three books will give you a good idea that you can have a career in sales without selling your soul. You can build a company that genuinely solves people's problems and helps them fulfill their dreams. And you can take pride in being an entrepreneur if you do it in a way where your ethics and care are as clear as your motivation.
1: Well, one thing has been obvious through this conversation, which is uh, your motivation, I suppose, to write this thesis. And I am ecstatic to have the opportunity to read it myself. Are there any developments there?
0: Oh, it's up on my website for any of you who want to have a read, link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time you, you know, listeners, you listen to this, Steve Davis and I will have done a webinar for Talked About Marketing here in Adelaide based on what people can immediately extract from my thesis and start applying on a small scale in their business. And yeah, we're going to be completely upfront. And that is, here are small things you can do on your own. But if you really want to go hardcore down this path... You can reach out to us, we can help you, but you don't have to to do little things. We're happy to just give you the little start to get going mm. just because we want people to
1: succeed. And if you're interested in more kind of marketing information, tips, stories, anecdotes, learnings, uh, you also have another podcast, David. I do. Steve Davis and I have a podcast called Talking About Marketing brought to you by Talked About Marketing, where Tim makes us sound which uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you very much for enlightening me today, David. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, listeners. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If the ideas of this episode have inspired you, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. Do them a favour so we can make a better informed and connected world. Thank you to Solstice Podcasting for use of their studio. If you're interested in making your own podcast, find out more at solsticepodcasting.com.au.